read verse 6 and 7, then we're going to skip down to verse 11. The Bible says, And it came to pass when they were come, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. The Lord said unto Samuel, Look not, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now skip down to verse 11. The Bible says, And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, and with all of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look at. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil, and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Tonight we're going to look at the King God Love. Let's pray. I do pray, Lord, tonight that you'd help us as we uh, look at the life of King David, uh, both the positives and the negatives, the, the, uh, the ups and, and also the downs. And God, uh, one thing remained constant through the book is that you, he never really stopped loving you, and Lord, you never stopped loving him. And God, I pray tonight we would be challenged by that very truth, and that, Lord, we, our love for you would be as genuine and deep and real as David's. And where it falls short, Lord, may we up our uh, game in loving you. Lord, we ask tonight that you'd help us as we study your word to have attention. I know there's many tired bodies in the room from a long day of work. Lord, would you give them the energy to be able to be mentally sharp, to grasp the truths from your word. Lord, I pray you'd speak through me. And Lord, I pray not only my words, but the tone in which I use, uh, Lord, would please you and Lord, would be of you and from you. Be with us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Everyone wants and needs love. Love is a staple of life. Show me someone who is good at loving others, and I will show you a person who has many friends and has deep, deep relationships. Now, of course, when we open up our hearts and we love others, we also make ourselves vulnerable, don't we? When you love somebody, you are pulling down the fences and the guard, and you're saying, I will make myself vulnerable for you to hurt me. Oftentimes, people who love much are people that hurt much. They're people that hurt much. All of these things are true in the life of King David, but perhaps the greatest compliment that you could share about the life of King David is perhaps this one. King David was God's favorite king. He was God's favorite king. While God loves everyone, God especially loved King David. Especially loved King David. You say, well, does, God, does that mean God plays favorites? The answer is no. Not really. God doesn't play favorites. Did God choose to love David the way He chose to love him by random chance? No, He didn't. God loved David deeply because David was a man who sought after God. If I could really sum up the whole introduction to this Bible study tonight, I can sum it up in three words for you. Here they are. David pursued God. David pursued God. I'd recommend you write those words down somewhere. 
If you've got an outline there and you're taking notes, David pursued God. Do you know that if you will pursue God as hard as David did, then God will love you just as much as he loved David? It isn't that God plays favorites. It isn't that God was more of a respecter of David than he is uh, anyone else or was of anyone else. It was just that David sought after God a whole lot harder than seemingly anybody else in Scripture. David spent his life pursuing God's heartbeat, God's passions, God's mentality, God's mindsets. And as a result, God was left with no choice but to deeply love David. This evening I propose that if you and if I will pursue God the same way that David did, then God will favor and love us the same way He loved David. I want to get to heaven and I want God to look at me. And the second He looks down at me, my heart fill with joy. Because it be a look that says, you loved me. You sought after me. You wanted a deeper relationship with me than most people wanted with me. I want Him to look at me with love. I want Him to look at me with a look of approval for the way that I sought after God. Let me ask you tonight, Christian, if God were to rapture you right now, you were to drop dead of a heart attack tonight, you were to step into heaven, would God be pleased with your relationship with Him? Or would you look at Him and say, I could have done better, I should have done better? Tonight we're going to look at this king who God loved and examine five different aspects of his life. Point number one is this. First notice David's reverence. David's reverence. Letter A, he revered the Almighty. He revered the Almighty. Listen to these words from Psalm 91.1. This is just beautiful. Beautiful poetry. Beautiful scripture. It says there, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of of the Almighty. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, we don't know for certain who wrote the 91st Psalm. Some say it was Moses. Uh, some uh, uh, speculate Isaiah or Hezekiah. Obviously, David is a clear choice of someone who could have written the 91st Psalm. But let me say this, even if David didn't write these words, David's lifestyle screamed these words. David spent his life dwelling under the shadow of the Almighty. Why was it that David pursued God so hard? It was because he revered God. He feared God. He respected God. He loved God with all his heart. And as a result, God revered David. God loved David. Letter B, notice there, he revered his authority. He revered his authority. And we're going to be all over First and Second Samuel tonight. Turn over to First Samuel chapter 26 and verse 9. The backdrop here, the story is that David's fame has grown. Saul has become jealous. Saul is chasing David all over the place trying to kill him. David walks out one night and looks down and sees campfires and realizes that Saul has gone to sleep. 
right at his footstep, uh, right, just steps away from him. So David takes Abishai down and they go into the camp and God puts a deep sleep over all the soldiers and David and Abishai are standing right over the top of Saul. And David has a chance to kill Saul. And Abishai says, this man has hunted you down. This man has tried to kill you twice. This is our chance. His javelin's right here in the ground. And Abishai says, listen, I only need one shot. One shot, and I can I, I can pin him to the ground, and he won't even make a noise. Look at verse twenty. Uh, rather, look at verse nine. First Samuel twenty six nine. And David said to Abishai, "Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless?" And so David would not kill Saul. In fact, and there was another uh, time a little before then where David was in a in a mountain and uh, rather in a cave, and Saul came into the cave, and David had a chance to kill Saul then as well. And he didn't do it. He didn't kill Saul, even though Saul was hunting him down like a wild animal and trying to kill him. Do you know why David was not killed while he was the king? David was not killed while he was the king because David would not kill the king. David revered authority, and as a result, others ended up revering his authority, and God made sure that David was protected. David revered authority. He looked up at authority and he said, I respect the chain of command. Now, was Saul worthy of this reverence? No, absolutely not. But David was not revering Saul because Saul deserved the reverence. David was revering Saul because Saul held a position where the position deserved the reverence. Let me say tonight that if uh, you have authority over you, whether or not they deserve your reverence by their actions, they deserve your reverence by their position. You say, I don't like our president. I would say the office of the president of the United States deserves your reverence. You ought not make jokes about the president. I don't care who he is. And if you made jokes about the previous president, you should not have done that. You should never be little or be smirched or put down. Uh, you may not agree with politics, that's fine. Uh, and, and, and there ought to be those open floors and, uh, or channels of debate, and that's fine for you to state your opinion. But you ought never ever tear down the person. You ought never wish evil or bad on the person. And that doesn't just go for the president, that goes for the mayor of your city that keeps raising the property uh, taxes on your home. That goes for our governor who uh, seems to want to just be filled with a lot of corruption and, and, and isn't being uh, uh, appropriate in a lot of the politics there. And that goes for the police chief. That goes for the police officer that pulls you over and isn't nice to you because he's having a bad day. Respect Revere authority. Number two, notice David's rules. By the way, the reason why David revered Saul's position is because he knew God had put Saul there. And we know from the book of Romans that God puts all authority in their places. And we're to respect God through the authority. David's rules. It's been taught and preached in this pulpit probably going all the way back to its founding, I would imagine. Um... And so if you've been going to church here a good long time, then this won't be anything new to you. But you need to learn to live your life by principles. You don't need to live your life by what the moment dictates. You need to have a principle that dictates the moment, not a moment that dictates your principles. Everybody get what I'm trying to say here? David had some rules 
were some principles that he lived his life by. And David was not going to, to, to do what, what, what have been, maybe what would have been convenient when the, the, the larger macro principle, the rule said, no, 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 you handle it this way. Letter A, David said, I will always stand for my God. I will always stand for my God. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 17. By the way, if you deeply, deeply love somebody, it should be no problem for you to stand up for them. David deeply loved his God. And so when someone blasphemed his God in the form of Goliath, boy, there was David. Everyone was going backwards away from Goliath. David was stepping up toward Goliath. And David was saying, hey, you big jerk, who do you think you are blaspheming my God? And you all are familiar with the story, I'm sure, but uh, his brother, uh, oldest brother, tried to give him a hard time. You're just here to see bloodshed, and your motives are wrong, and and, and, and look down at uh, verse 43. Oh, rather, we'll look at that in a minute. Uh, I, I changed the passage I had here uh, uh, just a few, few, few moments back, so let me continue to explain here. Uh, David turns to his brother and says, Hey, what have I done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And oh, the cat had his brother's tongue at that point. David then turns and he walks around and he says, Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? That, that guy down there is blaspheming Jehovah. Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And David had, little shepherd boy David had, what the king did not have. What is that? That's courage. David had courage because he did not see this giant. He saw a giant God behind the giant. And he said, all of you just see that giant, but I see the gigantic God who made the giant and made me, and that giant is blaspheming the gigantic God that created him, and I am going to be the human instrument that takes that guy out. So Saul goes and has David brought to him. And David says to Saul, this isn't a big deal, man. You know, I killed a lion and a bear with my bare hands. I, by the way, I hope God has that recorded. I want to see that. I'm more fascinated by him killing a lion than I am him killing the Philistine, to tell you the truth. Uh, that's like, wow! Can you imagine getting stuck in a cage at the zoo with a full-grown lion and grabbing it by the beard and snapping its neck? That Wow, that must have been a sight to behold. I really hope. And then a bear. Uh, uh, the old adage is, I don't have to be faster than the bear, I have to be faster than you. David didn't outrun the bear, David just took him on and, 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 and slew him, uh, because David was protecting his flock there. But David had full confidence when he walked out of there that, that he was gonna be just fine. And so he gets down in the valley and it's mano y mano, it's one on one, it's, it's the ultimate MMA match, right? No, it's the ultimate fighting match between the little David and the gigantic uh, Philistine, and the only thing that was bigger in David than Goliath was that David was supremely confident that he was going to win. Even more so than this Philistine was. Look down at verse 43. The Bible says, And the Philistine said, said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, to the beasts of the fields. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou come 
comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hands, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. Woo! David's letting him have it here. And I will give the, the, the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. David said, you're going to curse my God, then we're going toe-to-toe and you're going to lose. And my God will reign supreme today. Can I give you a little practical thing here today? Someone takes God's name in front of you at work. Can you, can you stand for God? You say, oh, that, that would be uncomfortable. David chopped Goliath's head off over it. I think you're capable of looking at someone and saying, that's my God. I would really appreciate it if you'd not take His name in vain. Say, but pastor, they're going to look at me like I'm crazy. He died for you naked on a cross. Do you think you can take a stand for Him at work? Now, they may keep doing it, but at least they know it makes your blood boil. At least they know it bothers you. By the way, Christian, don't you sit there on the couch and watch a TV show where God's name is being taken in vain and just bat, and you don't even bat an eye on it and you keep watching it. Listen, I can hear someone curse and it bothers me a little bit. If someone takes God's name in vain, them are fighting words. Them are fighting words. I'm not actually going to punch somebody. I'm not going to actually get in their face and yell at them. But I am going to say something to them. I am going to let them know, listen, I'm not here to take your mother's name in vain. God loves me and I love God more than you love your mother. Leave my God out of your language. And there's nothing wrong with you standing up for your God. Why did God love David so much? Because when everybody else went and hid, David walked forward and said, I'll take them on. Yeah, I'm only 15. I'm only 16. I don't know how to uh, wield a sword. I'll do it. I'll do it. And that's... Listen, God's in heaven and His heart's swelling with pride going, That's my boy! That's my boy! Letter B. Notice this uh, rule that David lived his life by. I will be there for my friends. I will be there for my friends. David would lead that battle with Goliath. And as a young man... First uh, Samuel 18, I believe it is, 18 or 19, uh, the Bible continues to use the phrase over and over again that David behaved himself wisely, and then more wisely, and even more wisely. He went from being uh, outside of the armies looking with no military training to being the general of the entire army, all in just one swoop moment. And the Bible says that David continued to behave himself wisely. By the way, that chapter there that uses that phrase is a great study. It's a great study. And I would encourage you uh, to dive into that and and really look at it. Because this is a bird's eye view of the book. We don't have time to do that tonight. But uh, maybe sometimes spend some time studying that out. David becomes really good friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And they became like... Best friends, and we get a biblical example of what best friends ought to be in Scripture. And even though Jonathan knew that his dad had disqualified him from being the king, Jonathan was very, very close to David. Look down at 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse 16. The Bible says, So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, Let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan caused David to swear again because he loved him. 
For he loved him as he loved his own soul. He loved him as he loved his own soul. I've got to work hard to stay on track here because there's a hundred directions I could go with this. Let me just say tonight that David, David kept his word. There would be a day where Saul and Jonathan would, would die in battle. Father and son die in battle together. David would be brought out of hiding and he would be a king of Hebron for seven years and then move over into Jerusalem and then be king of all of Israel for 33 more years. And shortly after David arrived on the throne in Israel, he, he asked uh, if there were any relatives of Saul left remaining. Now, the traditional, that was a very normal question for a new king to ask. But it wasn't to bring them in and love on them. It was to bring them in and axe their heads off. And so when that question was asked, David didn't give his motive. David didn't say why he wanted that. And there was research done, and sure enough, a young man by the name of Mephibosheth, who was related to Saul and Jonathan, was brought into the palace. And Mephibosheth probably fell down, and he was he was a, a lame man, meaning his legs didn't work from a fall uh, that he had uh, experienced. And uh, he'd been, been be, he was being carried, and the person carried him, dropped him, and he, he his legs were hurt, and he was no longer able to walk. And and instead of killing Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth was given a seat at the table in the palace for the rest of his life. Mephibosheth was treated like royalty. Why? Because David kept his word about being a true friend. A true friend. You know, it's easy to be somebody's friend when everything's going well in their life. Are you there for people when they hit a rough rough spot? Are you there for someone when they hit a rough patch? Are you there for them when the world's against them and no one else wants to believe them? Listen, real friends fight first and ask questions later. Real friends defend first and ask questions later. Even if it means that your own reputation might get stained in the process, I'm going to stand for my friend. And Listen, that's how you ought to be. You ought to make sure you're there when your friends are going through a tough time. I've got to say that at this church, I've been very impressed with how well you all look out for each other. Let me compliment you there. Uh, someone goes in the hospital, and we're, uh, the, especially our senior saints, our senior sisters, are quick to run over and visit and, and, and send a card and those things. And that's exactly how it ought to be. You want me to tell you how you want to be a good friend? Get to know some of the people who come to our church on a Sunday morning and don't come any other time. Get to know them well. And then when you see somebody beginning to slip in attendance and miss here and there, send them a text and let them know that you love them and follow up on them and let them know that you care for them and really be there for them. Because a lot of times when people quit going to church, it's because they're going through a hard time in their life and they need you to love on them. And that's a principle David lived his life by. We looked at uh, David's reverence. Number two, David's rules. Number three, notice David's regrets. David's regrets. Turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 11. I heard a pastor say this about David one time. David, David, most of his life, had his love gun aimed directly at God. And boy, he poured out love on God. David was a passionate lover of God. Very, very passionate. If you read through the Psalms that David wrote... Wow, he lays it on thick. But David got his love gun, that love passion, taken off of God for a short time and aimed at someone else 
And oh boy, the pain he felt from it. Letter A, notice his promiscuity. His promiscuity. Look down at verse 1. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time where kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. So David's not where he's supposed to be. David should have been leading the charge out in battle. Uh, and had he been there, he would have not been uh, where we're going to find him in verse 2. Verse 2 says, And it came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. We know that woman's name later is given in the chapter is Bathsheba. Bathsheba was doing what most people did during those times. And that was bathe on the rooftop. And uh, I've heard people throw stones at Bathsheba for that. Uh, the Bible does say it was in the even tide. Uh, clearly, David couldn't sleep. David went out there, wandered out there, and I don't know that Bathsheba was trying to provoke David. But nonetheless, David was the king. He should not have put himself in a compromising situation. And David secretly had Bathsheba brought to him, whose husband was in battle fighting for David, and David committed an immoral act with Bathsheba. And through that immoral act, through that relationship, Bathsheba became pregnant. Bathsheba sends to David, I'm pregnant, and it's, it's, it's your child. David decides, oh boy, it's time to cover up my tracks. So what does David do? He sends and brings Uriah home, and hey, old buddy, old pal, good to have you back. You're one of my mighty men, and, uh, and I'm just so thankful for you. Hey, listen, you deserve a well uh, rest, and you, you, you have a good vacation coming to you. Why don't you just go on home and spend some time with your wife? Trying to cover up his sin. Uriah was so honorable that he slept outside of his house and would not even go in. He said, how am I going to go home and enjoy my wife while my brothers are dying on the battlefield? And so David packaged up a little letter put it in Uriah's hand and sealed it with a seal that if that seal was broken, you would be immediately killed. And he put that letter in Joab's hand. And Joab read the letter and the letter basically said, put Uriah in the heat of the battle, call retreat, leave Uriah there and let him die. David had Uriah killed to cover up his sin. And then shortly thereafter, David married Bathsheba. And David thought, aha! I've covered up my sin and no one knows about it. And then in walks Nathan. Nathan tells a little parable about a lamb and, uh, and uh, at the end of the parable, David's in a rage. How dare that guy take that one little lamb and he had all those other sheep and what's... And Nathan sticks that bony, crooked preacher finger. I don't know if it was bony and crooked, but it makes for a good story. Amen. Sticks that finger in his face and he says, David, thou art the man! David drops his head. He says, you're right. And Nathan has some very grave words for David. He says, David, that child that Bathsheba is expecting is going to die. Is going to die because of your sin. David's regrets. How would David regret that? Let her be notice his parenting flaws. His parenting flaws. I don't know how much of this was swept under the rug. 
I don't know if his children knew about this. But Satan has a way of taking our mistakes. And boy, they, those little sins begin to raise their heads in other areas in our lives. We know that uh, Amnon had a friend, the Bible tells us. That friend was a cousin. Amnon was uh, David's son. And Amnon had a half-sister named uh, Tamar. And Tamar was very, very beautiful to look upon, at least in Amnon's eyes. And Amnon was lusting toward Tamar. And Amnon told his uh, cousin, boy, I, I really like Tamar. I'd like to be with Tamar. And Amnon gave, uh, Amnon's cousin gave him some bad advice. And, and Amnon was said, well, tell your father that you're sick and that you want Tamar to feed you by her hand and then send everybody out and then rape Tamar. And so sure enough, that's what Amnon did. And Amnon raped, Amnon raped Tamar. Word got back to David and David David called Amnon in and laid him out, right? He couldn't do that. Well, Dad, how are you going to get on me when you did what you did with Bathsheba? Oh, does the cat have your tongue, Dad? The sins of the parents being visited into the lives of the children. What happens when David does nothing to Amnon? Well, Absalom... Tamar's full brother decides he's going to seek vengeance. Vigilante justice. He throws a big party. First he waits several years. Then he throws a big party. And he, he invites his father and his father refuses. He says, well, well, let Amnon come in his place. Well, why, why do you want Amnon? Oh, me and Amnon are fine. Just let him come. He's going to have a good time. Amnon arrives at the party and, and Absalom kills Amnon to avenge the, the violation of his sister. Absalom then flees to his grand, grandparents' house. And after some time in another country, Absalom comes back but has no communication with David. And Absalom stands at the gate of the city and he begins to give counsel and advice to the, the people uh, of Jerusalem. And eventually Absalom commits mutiny and, and overthrows David's kingdom and kicks him out of Jerusalem only to have Absalom get caught up in the tree by his hair and, and then get killed uh, by one of David's men. Murder. Murder. David's guilty of sexual promiscuity. David's guilty of murder. What happens with his children? Sexual promiscuity and murder. And murder. David's regrets. You say, but pastor, you said that God loved David. You know, the beautiful thing about God and the beautiful thing about the Bible is that you can, you can make a large stumble and God still loves you. He still loves you. Number four, notice David's repentance. David's repentance. I've got to move quickly here. Letter A, notice his sorrow. And if uh, you don't get anything else from the message tonight, I hope you'll get that in the introduction about David pursued God. And then I hope from there you'll, you'll really listen intently to this point. Because this really is the crux of what I want you to walk away with tonight. i got to say, if there's one area that I've got a lot of growth to do as a Christian, it's this area right here. i got to say, most Christians have a lot of growth, growing to do in this area. Letter A, notice his sorrow. His sorrow. Can you turn with me over to 2 Samuel chapter 12? 
You should be in the area already. Look at verse 15. This is following up the story where Nathan sticks his finger in David's face and says, Thou art the man. Verse 15, And Nathan departed into his house. And the Lord struck that child, the child that Uriah's wife bare unto David. And it was very sick. David therefore besought God for the child, and David fasted and went in and lay all night upon the earth. David, David skipped meals. David laid on his face. David uh, 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 stayed awake all night and he prayed, and he confessed his sin, and he wept before God. Uh, Maybe write down there in your notes Psalm 51, and go back and later and read and really study the 51st Psalm. That prayer, that psalm, is what David prayed while he laid on his face, and he begged God to forgive him. He begged God to give him a clean heart. He begged God to make him uh, whiter than snow, and he sought God's face with sorrow. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 say, Now I rejoice, now not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing, for godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And there's a, there's a parallel there drawn between the sorrow of the world or regret of the world and regret of a Christian. The regret of a, of the world is not a regret that brings about a change of lifestyle. It's just regret. But the regret of a Christian is, oh God, I hate my sin and I hate what my sin has done to me and those that I love. And God, with all my heart, I'm going to turn and I'm going to love you and I'm going to, I'm really going to change. Let her be. Notice his sincerity. His sincerity. You know, David had to face the consequences for his actions. But I don't know that you'll find a Bible character that owned up and faced his consequences with more grace than David did. Boy, David just took it on the chin. He said, Lord, I deserve what I have coming to me. You might remember that when Absalom had overtaken the throne and David was being rushed out of the city, there was a man who was there to throw stones at David and curse David and yell at David. And David David didn't retaliate. David didn't retaliate. Some of what that man said to David was true. But David just prayed to God. He said, I'm going to trust God. Why? Because David knew that in order to really have repentance, he couldn't just be sorry for his sin. He had to turn and neglect his sin. He had to run from his sin. Now, we don't get any other pattern that David ever messed up with another woman. We don't see that David ever had any other backdoor dealings that saw anybody else dead. David learned his lesson. Can I ask you this question tonight, uh, Christian? Do you really, really sorrow over your sin? You realize that, you, we, and by the way, we can sit here, we can go, David was guilty of adultery and murder. Pastor, I have never committed adultery, and I would never commit adultery, and I hope that's true. You say, Pastor, uh, David was guilty of murder. I've never even really thought about killing someone. How horrific is that? 
And I would say, I hope that's true, but do you know that your disobedience and your rebellious attitude and your stubborn spirit and, and that lying habit that you have or what other sinful habit that you have, do you know that nailed the Savior to the tree just like David's murder did? Now, I'm not trying to put them both on the same uh, uh, pedestal when it comes to earthly consequences, but from an eternal scale, uh, uh, the one who never commits murder and the one who does commit murder uh, that don't turn and trust Christ as your Savior, they both go to the same hell for their sin. And you've got to see your sin as what put the nails into the hands of the Savior. You've got to hate it. You've got to confess it. You've got to turn from it. Why did God love David so much? God loved David because David was, not because David was perfect, but rather because in David's sin, he turned to God with a godly sorrow and truly changed from his sin. Number five, notice David's reward. David's reward. We'll go through these quickly. Letter A, notice God's promises. Turn over with me over to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Look, at, look with me at verse 9. We're going to read down through uh, verse 15 for now. It says there, And I was with thee whithersoever thou wentest, and have cut off all thine enemies out of thy sight, and have made thee a great name. So what was God's promise, uh, one of God's promises to David? Well, he made David's name great. Listen, how many people are we talking about from 4,000 years ago? Not very many. Other than the ones that are recorded in the Bible, and David's name is not just in the Bible, it's great in the Bible. Look at verse 10. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more. So, not only did God promise to make David's name great, He promised to give peace to the nation of Israel. Verse 11, And as since the, that, uh, the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused thee to rest from all thine enemies, and the Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. So, he's going to give peace to Israel. He's going to give peace to David's house. Verse 12, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set uh, up thy seed after thee, uh, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. So God said, I will give you a son who will be a king and I will make sure that his kingdom is established. If God could come to you tonight and say, uh, uh, you're going to die in the next six months, but your child's going to become something great. How many of you, that would be very comforting. Well, we want the best for our children, don't we? Uh, verse 13, he shall build, speaking of uh, this uh, son of his, he shall build an house for my name. Boy, that was a, a big goal and vision of David, was to see the temple built. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So, God's promises to David, he's going to establish his son. He's going to allow his son to build that temple, which Solomon would do. Uh, verse 14, I will be his father and he shall be my son. And then God promises next year that he will discipline or chastise this son if he steps out of line. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men. And you can read on down there to the end of verse 15. You get the idea there that God's making David a lot of promises. What happened because David was so good at loving God? Listen, God just dumped promise after promise after promise on David. Let her be there. Notice David's permanence. Look at verse 16. It says there, And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever. Before thee thy throne shall be established 
forever. Now we know the story about how the Babylonians came in and, and shut down the throne. You say, but pastor, it said it would be forever. Do you know that through the bowels of David, you would have the birth of Jesus Christ? Not only would Jesus Christ be born from the lineage of David, he would be born in the same city that David grew up in, in Bethlehem. And Jesus Christ one day, who is Israel's king, he's going to come down to this earth, and he is going to sit on the throne. In the Jerusalem that's here today, and he's going to rule this world from a theocratic standpoint for a thousand years. He is going to sit on David's throne. And so David's throne has been established forever. What did David get? Because he was a little shepherd boy in the field, totally forgotten by Samuel, totally forgotten by his father Jesse, totally got forgotten by all of his brothers. There he is out in the field uh, singing psalms and praises to God. What happened to David because he loved God so much? Boy, God established His kingdom forever. Forever. One day that this heaven and earth will be destroyed and God will create a new heaven and earth and God will continue to reign as the son of David. As the son of David on David's throne. Listen, God is not, God's not going to give you the same set of blessings He gave David if you love Him the way David did. But God's got a set of, of, of blessings waiting for you that will blow you away if you'll just learn how to get out of your own way and love God with all your heart. Can I ask you a question tonight? How much do you love God? Can we all just admit there's room for improvement? There's room for improvement. And there was room for improvement for David. But there truly is room for improvement in us. We can all love God just a little bit more and love things that steal away from God a little bit less. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight. The king God loved wasn't that God was preferential. It was that David was preferential.